At Skyview, we strive to love God and others through generous hospitality and meaningful friendship. For more information about Skyview Church, please visit us at www.skyviewchurch.ca. This morning, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 6? I want to read from verse 24 to 35. And this is what the Word of God says. Actually, starting in verse 25. When they found him, this is Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God, the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they replied, from now on give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What precedes this particular portion of Scripture is the feeding of the 5,000, as many of us would remember it. It is a time in which people have started to gather and follow Jesus. His popularity has grown, and they come after Him according to the Scripture because they had seen His power at work to heal. They are following Jesus because they are starting to sense that there's something dynamic about Him. They're starting to sense that He has the ability to, uh, to do things that they would attribute to a prophet. And as they are gathering around Jesus, the scripture tells us that Jesus asked one of his disciples, what are we going to do about feeding this group? How are we going to take, fear of, uh, take care of them, their physical hunger? How are we going to provide for them? And the scripture actually lets us in on a secret. Even though Jesus knew what he was going to do, he still asked the question. And it seems like, you know, uh, some of the best teaching that we can, we can have is, is, is not teaching that just presents us with the answer, but ask good questions in order for us to think deeply upon what the answer may be. And I think a part of discipleship, a part of learning, a part of Christianity is not for pastors or teachers to be able to answer all the questions on your behalf, but to ask questions that helps us to think very deeply about the reasons why. In fact, untested faith is not good. You know, some people think that, uh, that, that, that you ought to just believe without bringing common sense or logic to it. There is so much to how God has created it. Why would He not allow us to bring that which He's given us as a gift, our intellect, our ability? But He also uses experience to teach us and to lead us. He also gives us traditions in order to speak and lead us. Some of the traditions of our church include worshiping together. Some of it include the, the Lord's table and baptism. But what is fundamental to what God gives us to lead us and to teach us is His Word. 
His word should be primary. It should be the foundation of how we understand who he is. If you ask and say to me, I would love to hear Jesus speak to me. I would love to hear God's voice. I would like to experience him. I would say this to you. Don't begin with looking for the extraordinary. Begin with the very ordinary that has already been passed down to us. His word is active and alive and can speak to us today. So anyway, that's just besides the point. Armando, are you still with me? Can you say amen? Is it the same in Spanish? Amen. There you go. I just spoke Spanish. (laughs) Sounds like English. Are you messing with me, Armando? Okay. So Jesus asked, well, how are we going to feed this crowd? And, 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 And eventually they bring a lad, my translation says, a lad to Jesus. And uh, they say he has five barley loaves and two fish. Do you remember this? I mean, hardly enough to feed a crowd that is defined as 5,000 men strong. But Jesus takes what is given and in a miraculous way starts to feed and reproduce an abundance. In fact, there's so much that Jesus does that... There is some leftover, 12 extra basketful of leftovers. I mean, you know, if there's, if there's something that I sometimes missed when I read the feeding of the 5,000 is this, that when the story is told, there can be no doubt that they had enough to eat. You know, we, we, we Ruthann and I, over the years, we've had, um, uh, are you guys still with me? Okay. Good. <laughs> it's not very long this morning, um, and praise the Lord for that. But um, we, my wife and I, over the years, uh, the, the couple of years we've been here, we've had several of you in our homes, and some of you are still to visit us. But we had students over, and what we learned about students, and, and I'm not speaking to anyone specific here, I will try not to look at you. But what we learned about students is, is that they really, they really pine for some home-cooked meals. You know? And, and I, I just want to throw this out to our congregation you know, you'll bless a student when you invite them to lunch. Okay? You, you really will. Because cafeteria food only goes so far. Right, Russell? And one of the things that I noticed about students is there's no reservations in how they eat. I mean, they, they are talking and communicating to me, oh, this is so good. And I don't have to say to them, you know, there's no, I, I, I don't say this is an insult, but there's no politeness that holds them from the table. They just come and they help themselves. And on many occasions when we had students in our home, there was, there was nothing left over. Praise the Lord. My wife doesn't like leftovers. I love it. So it's always painful for me when we have students because I know if it was good food, nothing's going to be left over. And you know what, what the feeding of the 5,000 really is? The feeding of the 5,000 is the presentation of how Jesus supplies and provides in such an overabundant way. I mean, one of the things that's lost in that story is the fact that Christ gives them more than they need. He feeds them to the fullest. And yet, you know what happens as a result of Jesus feeding them? They come for more. The Scripture says they pursue Him. And they, cor- they, they want to corner him, and Jesus escapes them. Now, I wish the Scripture gave me exactly how Jesus ran away from the crowd. Because I just don't think of Jesus running away from anybody. But Jesus escapes the crowd, and finds a place in a mountain in solitude, and sends his disciples off. And in our particular passage, what we find is Jesus has now miraculously crossed the water, has met with his disciples on the other side, And the crowd is caught up with him, and they are asking him a question. They're asking, how did you get here? Jesus doesn't respond 
to explaining to them that he walked on water. And I think part of the reason, just stay with me as I paint the context, part of the reason that Jesus does not tell them about the miracle of the water could very well be because early in the gospel we learn that Jesus makes this point that no amount of miracles is sufficient to form the groundwork for faith. You know, many times we think that if we saw the miraculous, if we saw God do divine things, that somehow that would strengthen faith. Have you not felt this way? Have you not said to yourself that if I could see the divine at work, then I could believe deeper? But you know what Scripture bears out and this particular Scripture? It bears out that nothing is ever enough for human need. Nothing is ever sufficient. It is not a North American problem. It is not a cultural problem. It is a people problem. It is a heart problem. There's a constant insufficiency within us. And Jesus realizes this. He realizes that the hunger that burns within the human heart cannot be quenched with the provision of fish and bread. And then Jesus reveals to them a few things. And this is where I want to go. The first thing that Jesus says to the crowd when they find him, he says that you were looking for me not because you believed the signs or saw them, but because your bellies were filled. The first thing that Jesus simply says to them, he says, he he reveals to them their motivation for looking for him. I don't know if you quite understand this, but when they wanted to crown him king, there is quite possibly the desire to have a political redeemer, somebody that could provide for them and take care of them. And I've got to say this to you. I think that what we see in the scripture is a great political strategy. If you want to be elected to office, give the people what they ask for. I mean, if you want your name on the ballot and you wanted to go beyond that, just respond to the needs of the people. Just give them what they want. And because Jesus gave them what they needed in that moment, they want to crown him king, but he rejects that kingship and he rejects that crowning because he would not be that kind of king. And Jesus says to them, your motivation is rooted in your greed. It is rooted in your stomach. It is rooted in what you want me to do for you. You see, uh, the Bible consistently reminds me that as a human being, I must be very careful to examine my motivations. Uh, There's a way in which I can be a Christian and be searching after Jesus, and my motivations could be the kind that blinds me to the identity of Jesus. What I mean is simply this. When I have needs and desires that brings me to Jesus, it is a good thing, but it is also a dangerous thing because out of my needs and desires, I can see and expect and want a Jesus that may not respond to me in the way that I need him to. There's a sense in which the hunger that we see in this passage is surface compared to the real hunger within the crowd. Earlier in this chapter, the sign, the miracle that Jesus performs is the motivation for the crowds looking for him. And what Jesus says to them through asking and exposing their motivation is that all you need me to be. Is that what you're really looking for? I want to ask you a question this morning. 
And I have to confess, I've really struggled this week with this text. Not for a lack of time, for a lack of inspiration. And the more I struggled with it, the more I realized that at the center of this text was a a struggle that I was experiencing in my own life. It was a struggle and a thirst and a hunger for a deeper experience and knowledge of God. Have you ever been there? It was a, a pure motivation, a desire to want to really see and experience Him. And I started to think to myself, why is it that when the motivation is so strong within me to see Jesus, that I don't seem to, in my life, experience Him the way I long for. And I have to say to you, friends, that I think there are many reasons that that could possibly be the truth. But for me, in this past week, the question that brought this all home was simply this. Are you searching for Him because you recognize His worth beyond what He can do for you? Do you see Him for who He truly is? Is the motivation for wanting Jesus in your life to get Him to be the one who gets onto your agenda? Could the reason be that you're searching after Him is because you want Him to play the part of fixing where you want to go? And the distinction that Jesus makes in this particular text, he says, listen, I'm not a provider of your needs primarily. I am the source of life, the bread upon which your existence depends. You see, Jesus can be the one who cares for your needs, but he wants to be a lot more than that this morning. He wants to be the source of your life the center of your life. He wants to be your all in all. He wants to be, you know, when when you hear the word bread of life, it's not bread for breakfast or lunch. It's bread that sustains. It is the very spiritual life that we desire is only possible when we come to Him and He is central to our life. He is supposed to be that greatest treasure, that ultimate And yet, friends, I think that I'm speaking very honestly to you, that I think as a person, I want Jesus more for what he does for me than recognizing who he truly is. And I don't know if I'm quite getting there with you this morning, but I think we see ourselves in the crowd this morning. I think... uh, Another realization as I struggled with this text was that even if Jesus gave me everything I thought I needed, would I truly worship Him as I ought? You know, one of the illusions is, is if Jesus would just apply all my needs, if He would just fix everything, then I would be content. Do you know what every NBA player that has gone crazy and we all go, what is up with that, has proven? That no amount of wealth, no amount of possession, no amount of having stuff work out right ensures that our souls are at peace. I have to ask you this morning to examine your motivation. What is the reason that you call Jesus your Lord? I mean, he, 
can be our Savior in that He saves us from many situations or circumstances and ultimately our sin. But as Lord, does He have the right to my life? Is He my ultimate source of hope? Our motivations for seeking Jesus can blind us to the deeper revelation of who He is. But in the passage, there's something else that jumps out. Not only... Not only does Jesus reveal their motivation, but he shows to them their deeper hunger. He says in verse 28, what must, they say to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answers in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You know, throughout the gospel of John, there are several signs that happen. In chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. That'd be a money-making business, wouldn't it? You know, just turns water into wine miraculously. And you know what the scripture says in chapter 2? It says the disciples believe because of it. I think in chapter 4, a royal official approaches Jesus and says, My son is sick, he's dying. And Jesus says to him, Your son will be healed. And at the moment Jesus says to him, His son would be healed. The man returns and his slave says to him, Your son is up and awake, he's, he's alive, he's healthy. And it says, In that moment he believed. While it is true, that signs can help us believe what, the, what Jesus is revealing in this particular passage. He's saying that a lot more is needed from us uh, to, to, to fulfill the hunger in our lives. Not only that which we can perceive as divine, but truly to see who Jesus is as the one whom we need most. I think that I have for the longest time believed that if, 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 if somehow God could just do more for me miraculously that I would have a stronger faith. And you know what I'm realizing? That faith is not born out of what I perceive, but in whom I know and experience to be true within me. You know, uh, one of the mysteries of our faith is that we believe that Jesus Christ, through the power of God's Spirit, actually takes residence within my life. He starts to lead me and to guide me. He starts to shape me. Um, the one way in which I know that He's present and active within my life is that I have convictions not only about what I ought not to do, but what I am to do. I know that Jesus is at work within me, that He is my bread of life when I live my life a lot more with contentment than want. I know that He has filled me when instead of perceiving to get more from Him, I feel His presence leading me to obedience and willful surrender for His sake. I know that He is my bread of life when I recognize that the places I once went to eat are no longer significant and relevant. There's a story in the Bible that precedes this one where the Samaritan woman is at the well and Jesus approaches her. Do you remember that? To say amen? And I'm almost finished. And uh, as Jesus approaches her, he says to her, he says, uh, listen, can you give me some water? She says, uh, uh, you know, well, uh, she doesn't really give him water. Jesus then goes on and he says to her, listen, I have some living water. And you know what she says? She says, then give me that water. Jesus says, yeah, the water I have, you know, you would never have to drink from again. And you know what happens in that scripture is exactly what happens here. She doesn't really understand what Jesus is offering her, but she's asking for this living water. And at that moment when Jesus could have just jumped in and made an altar call, you know what Jesus says? And I preached on this before. He says, go and get your husband. You know what she says? She says, oh, well, you know, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're absolutely right. And the man you're now married to is not your husband. You've been married five times. 
And I suggested to you before that the reason Jesus asked this question is quite simple. He's trying to point out in this woman's life that every relationship she's had up until now was a well that had run dry. He's trying to show her that her thirst has not been quenched because she had not yet experienced him as her ultimate thirst quencher. I want to say to you that with the, with the, with the crowds, this is exactly the same. Their hunger up until this point has not been satisfied by anything else. And Jesus is offering them not just a physical material, which I think so much of our Christianity revolves around today, but he's offering them a spiritual satisfaction in his very presence. He's giving of himself. He's self-giving. He's personal. You know, faith is so personal, and yet... We operate in the generalities of it. We make it about just, you know, God is out there. You know, Jesus says to us, listen, I can satisfy by becoming your center, becoming your all. Would you hunger for that which spiritually satisfied? Listen, our hunger is rampant. We want so much out of this world. And yet the hunger that leaves us wanting and needing more should bring us to a Christ that we worship and adore every Sunday we gather here. Not only does Jesus reveal their deeper hunger, but he offers himself as the source that satisfies. Throughout my upbringing as a Christian, I've always believed that my spiritual and growth should be about having more of Jesus in my life. I always believed that. Uh, I spoke to a young lady who was in my youth group just recently, and she said words that just resonated with me and just excited me when she says, Oh, I just long and hunger for Christ to take more control of who I am. You know what Jesus says? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I wonder this morning if some of the thirst and the hunger that we feel, that we experience in this world, some of the emptiness that is there, you know, I don't think Jesus promises that in this life all of that will be satisfied. And I don't think that this text in particular implies in any ways that when you serve Jesus and make him the center of your life that everything goes well. Who can say amen to that? But there's a distinction that the scripture makes, and it's simply this. Your center will hold when he's your center. Your unfulfillment and discontentment with this world will not end you when he's your bread of life. The good hunger that's within all of us, that motivates us, that drives us, that pushes us, if he's our center... It will bring us back to Him. Very practically. To eat and to take Him in means to spend time with Him in prayer and in reading the Scriptures. I know I'm not saying anything that you haven't heard me harp on before. But I want to ask you quite simply and challenge you as a congregation this morning, as I've challenged myself, to answer the question, where am I taking and receiving Christ into my life? 
When is the last time when you opened up the scripture and you didn't look at the clock because you were in a rush to get somewhere? When is the last time that you ate in the word of God and let it resonate and digest? Some of you here this morning are part of Bible study fellowship. Some of you are in small groups. But you know the majority of us in this congregation, if stats are true, only look at this once a week if we come to church. Um, I was listening to a, a great preacher once interact with one of his parishioners. This parishioner came to him and said, I looked at that passage that you preached on the other day, and I got to tell you, I looked at that passage and I didn't see half the stuff that you did. Now, if you're a preacher, that worries you. And he says, but it's good stuff, and it makes me understand the Scripture more because you told me about it. He says, but I don't see that stuff. He says, I mean, how, how can I learn? How can I see that? How can I grow? How can I eat this book? How can it become a way of being more central to my life? How can it start steering me? And I think the pastor, in profound wisdom, responded. He says, oh, you can't do it on your own. You need brothers and sisters. And he says, you need a pastor like me. <laughs> You know, when people studied the Word of God in the early centuries, they did it in dialogue. They did it in discussion. We have made preaching this one-way communication. We have made it about someone else digesting and, and depending on how his week has gone, giving you what comes out of it for the good or the bad. But folks, there's something incredibly filling <laughs> when you start eating this book. Some of the most exciting learning I've had is when I'm sitting in a room of people and we're talking together about Scripture and I hear what God is saying through others. There's no rocket science to this message this morning. People follow Jesus for all and various reasons. But ultimately, if you seek Him because He is worth your everything, if you come to Him and desire to know Him, you can through His Word this morning. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that our motivations may not always be right. What we want You to be may not be who You want to be at all. But I pray this morning that as your word says to us, that you offer yourself as the bread of life, as you offer yourself to us, that we would take you deep within our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would not have a, a periphery faith and have you only on the sidelines to fulfill our circumstantial agendas. I pray that we would move beyond having you being our problem fixer or our vending machine. I pray, Lord, that you would be what you say you are, our source of living water, our bread of life. Teach us as a community 
through spiritual practice to always keep you at the center of our life. Help us, Father, if we're not there today, and some of us, we drift off weekly. Help us this morning to recognize this grace for us to come back to what matters most. Forgive us, forgive us for using you. Forgive us for trying to make the Savior who died for us on a cross, offering us so much more, nothing more than a band-aid or a quick help or a quick fix. Restore to us in our community of faith the sense, the sense of how great you are and how worthy you are. And may we eat as many times as we need and be filled by you. In Jesus' name, amen.